There he Yo, is. Girl. Man of the hour. Biggest week of our, our favorite week of the year. Uh, I'm like a kid in a candy shop right now. That's I love how this I feel. Week. I got like, um, I got Twitter opened. I got <laughs> different mock drafts. Every every second, it feels like something new can come in. Listen, I know it's bad, and this is an exciting week when you got brokers asking you about what you think gonna go on with the draft. <laughs> so, <laughs> um. So, all right, so me, me and Cool obviously did our first two NBA draft Nets pods. First, first discussing uh, what the Nets should do if they went star hunt. Uh, for, sorry, first discussing what the Nets should do if they hit the reset button, then what they should do if they go star hunting. Now I think we're actually – what's fun about the next two that we're going to do is I actually think they're the two that are the most realistic, which is what the Nets should do if it seems like they just stand pat or if the Nets decide to package – 21 and 22 and get some pick within, you know, 15 to 20 or 16 to 19, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but first we're going to start out with what they should do if they stand pat. But before we even do that, cool. I got to ask you, cause me and you were on the phone yesterday. We were texting all day when we got, we got our first Woj bomb of the, of the summer, if you want to <laughs> call it that. And we, and we hear that Bradley Beal's going to, uh, he's, he's leaving your, uh, DMV area and going to Phoenix for Chris Paul, Shamit, a bunch of expiring, uh, sorry, a bunch of swaps and I think five or six second round picks. I don't even think the, the number has been stated yet. The trade still hasn't finalized because Chris Paul, it seems like it's going to be rerouted. I actually, the Suns are also, it sounds like getting Jordan Goodwin, who I actually like for the Wizards, but generally I know you have some strong takes about this trade and you're also like me, very into the cap logistics. So give the people uh, where where you stand on it. Um, you know, like like I tweeted out earlier, I had to sit with it. You know, listening to it yesterday, I just was like, "Yo, Jesus!" They 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 had a gun held to their head, and and they was robbed. Like basically, to me, it's the DeAndre Jordan trade. DeAndre Jordan went to Detroit for five second rounders just to get off his money. And Bradley Bill goes for five or six and some swaps. Now, even when you think about the, the, the pick swaps for the first round, the Suns are going to be better than the Wizards no matter what. So those swaps are useless. Um, I don't know why they're sending another good player to Phoenix yep. makes no sense, um, especially if he's a young player. Washington is going to need to keep as much young talent and, and as they can. Um, but to help, to help the Suns' depth is it's, it's crazy. Um, like I've uh, alluded to with a couple of people on the phone and on Twitter because people seem not to understand the gymnastics that they have to go through because they only have five or six roster spots and they're already over the second apron. So most people are looking for the DeAndre Ayton um, trade to drop. Why? Don't assume he's getting traded. For the simple fact is, would West Coast, you know, I'm going to start with the West Coast first. Would West Coast team would take him to help them and that's going to be a team that probably stops you from advancing. 
Like, you know, I've seen Aiton going to Dallas. Why would Dallas help Phoenix beat Dallas? Makes no sense. So if you're looking at an Aiton trade, you would have to look out, out east. And when you're doing the trade, you know you're helping the Suns. They don't have any more picks to give. So what can they do to sweeten the trade? They can't do anything. You just have to believe in Aiton like you wanted him and you would have gave him a max. And we've seen only one team did that. Um, yeah. His, oh, go, his, sorry. Keep going. His, his talent, the talent warrants a max. The impact of the game doesn't impact, doesn't warrant a max. And with a, with a center, and you have questions about his motor, his desire to play and to be engaged, you, you can't afford that. We, we watched him at the highest level be disengaged when it count the most. And people will say, oh, but the stats, he put up this, this, this. There's a lot of empty stats all over the course of the NBA. You're going to see people have double-doubles. Man, is seven foot. If you walk on the court and plays enough minutes, he's going to get a double-double. And so I just say, like, this trade, um, for the Nets fans, it doesn't it doesn't bother us at all. We don't have they pick next year anyway. So even if they're good this year and win, it doesn't affect the next year because I do truly believe that uh, Bill and KD will have some form of history repeat itself where they're missing 30-plus games a season, yeah. if not both at the same time. Yeah, I mean – I, I mean, look, I think I think the big thing is – and this is why I think – and me and you talk about this a lot, the, the lack of nuance. If you want to say that the, that the Wizards – I mean, sorry, that the Suns got a lot of talent and they clearly won the trade from like a 2K perspective or whatever, I'm totally there with you. Like, like Paul clearly can't, can't make it through an NBA season – Shamit is just not that good of a basketball player and he's on a bad contract and they obviously got Beal and Goodwin I think is already better than Shamit and I think Goodwin is going to is going to play for them but but with all that said I think people one like one it remains to be seen if Devin Booker can really be a playmaker and we've seen glimpses of it but there's a difference between doing it for small stretches and doing it night in and night out. And it also weighs on you. And he's also a guy that at the end of the day doesn't want to shoot. And the second thing is, and this is something that, you know, the nerds like me and you know about, but like, so for, for people who don't know this with the new collective bargaining agreement, the Suns are going to basically go right through the second apron, assuming no eight and trade is happening. And even if it one does, it's, it's no guarantee that they're not going to be in the second apron anyway. So they'll, they're going to be unable to use their taxpayer mid-level. Uh, they're going to be unable to use a, tra- a TPE, a trade player exception, generated in the prior year. And then in starting in 24-25, the team's pick is frozen the first year. It exceeds the second apron. And then it's moved to the end of the first round if it exceeds in two of the next four years. So, I mean, this is a team that's going to be completely stuck and is basically going to have to fill out the next, you know, whatever it is, uh, seven to eight roster spots with basically vet minimum guys and and not even guys that are like, oh, I'm willing to take a little bit less money. Like we're talking like bottom of the barrel guys. And, and they're also going to have to, they have early bird rights on Tory Craig, 
who who didn't really seem that playable in a lot of those games, and Jock Lansdale, who was good, but you know, it, it, even still, if you assume that those two are being brought back, you still got to fill out the rest of the roster. So it remains to be seen what's going to uh, what's going to happen uh, with w- with the rest of the roster on top of having a new coach. So obviously a massive risk. I get why they did it. And the other thing that we should also mention is that the Beal no trade clause stays with him. So he's that that's that that's not going that's not going anywhere. So if this thing doesn't look like it works, Beal is Beal still has all the leverage again. Yeah, that's a that, and that's why they wasn't gonna never truly get the assets that because Bill the player is good. Like he's a good player. It's the contract. Yep. And if you didn't put him in a in a winning situation, I don't I don't think he's he's the lead alpha. I think he can score like a one, but he's not gonna lead you anywhere. Clearly we can see that how his teams have underperformed. So it takes the burden off of him. Should take a little bit off of KD. Um, to me, more workload is going to go on Booker than anybody. Yeah. Um, yep. And we saw that this year in the playoffs. I mean, like I said, like you, like, well, like you said, that that um, no trade. It, it's 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 weird. Um, and it's telling that Miami didn't want to really engage in talks with them. I totally agree. Like they, that, if they wanted him, they could have had him. Yeah. Because they would have gave up one first and Caleb Martin and, and hero. They would have been, it'd have been a good deal. It would have been a young piece that you could have said was the face of the franchise for DC. But I, I think, I think um, Washington didn't want to take any money back. And maybe you could have gave them Cal Lowry and something else. But, you know, they don't have that many um, assets that's that good. And they didn't have that Shamit deal, that, you know, $11 million. And the way his deal is structured, I think the last, next year is non-guaranteed. And then the last year is a team option. So it's basically, it's a wash this year, rinse your hands, and next season you have all that money. Um, yeah, no, look, I mean, it's, it, it was, it was a fun start to the week, uh, in, in what should be, I think an incredibly crazy week. Cause as you've mentioned on prior pods, which is super on point and smart is that these, these teams are trying to make deals before the new collective bargaining agreement kicks in on July 1st, because the deal that happened yesterday with Beal wouldn't have been able to happen because the amount of money that the Suns took back wouldn't have been allowed under the new deal. So you're going to see a lot of trades happen before, uh, before July 1st and free agency ends up beginning. And it's going to be a lot of, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And tomorrow, uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Say it again. I tell you, I've been telling y'all that we might hear something this weekend. If it was a big thing that, you know, the negotiations will happen this weekend. Then we get the Woj bomb. And I've been saying Tuesday, because this is Lion Week. But come Tuesday, if there's a trade to really be had, you'll hear all there at the five-yard line of it. They're at the goal line. And you'll hear details of the trade. Because come Tuesday, 
teams don't have the that don't no longer have that. Let me lie. Because right. if it's a, if it's a deal that is going to take place for draft compensation, you want to have that all etched in stone, and maybe you get the last tweak done on Wednesday, right? Or even or even Thursday morning, but you're going to hear the the framework of the deal come tomorrow. Yep, because especially because as we've seen with this, especially with these deals that once they start adding more and more teams, this stuff gets complicated. These trades break down, and there's a lot of teams that a want to make. I, I think something that people don't realize, and we've talked about a lot on this podcast, is you have a lot of things at play, which is why teams want to make deals. Which is one, you have a lot of really expensive teams. Two, you have the upcoming new collective bargaining agreement that's going to come into effect in about ten days. And you also have a bunch of teams that are still reeling from, you know, everything that happened during the pandemic and they want to cut costs and whatnot, especially when they have teams that are kind of stale and that they realize can't win. Like, I think it's interesting. There's been a couple of podcasts that I've listened to that said, don't be surprised if the Clippers do something dramatic, because even though that owner is willing to spend, like, he's gotten nothing out of it and they're spending a gazillion dollars. So, like, I I think you have a lot of owners that don't want to be mediocre and, you know, spending $300 million on a team. So, which is why I think there's going to be a lot of movement and there's also going to be a lot of teams that are aggressive in trying to win because they look at the league right now as as wide open as ever. Also look at Charlotte with Michael Jordan selling. I expect um, Gordon Haywood and um, Rosier to be on the market. New owners, as we've seen in Phoenix, like to come in and do their own thing. Yep. And, you know, whoever they pick with the second pick is going to share being the face of the franchise with LaMelo. Um, and that's why, you know, I always said it would be Brandon Miller because if you got the um, point guard and he's been your face and he's done made an all-star and he's relatively still young, you give him a wing that he that he doesn't have. Yeah, and you grow from there. I mean, scoop, you know, scoop is scoop is nice too, but it don't make sense unless you're just saying, "Hey, I'm going to get rid of the the point guard, get what I could get back." I mean, they still have to figure out the bridges thing. So I just look at teams like that to start selling off those twenty something million dollar contracts that they don't know. You know, the long term, when it's three or four years with a new owner, you you might want a clean slate with one person making money, and then you do it as you see fit. Because I think even Cupcheck, he's long in the tooth now, too. Yep, it's true. Um, all right, so let's get into uh, this week, or this edition of, the, uh, of what the Nets should do in the draft. And what I want the fans, the Nets fans who listen or NBA fans that listen to imagine is let's assume it's, it's the day before the draft or it's draft night, whatever you get the Woj bomb and it says Damian Lillard's been traded, but it's not to the Nets. It's to the heat. So it seems like the Nets are actually just going to remain Pat or stand Pat. They're going to pick at 21 and 22, you know, and they obviously still have pick number 51 as well. 
cool. Let's assume that the Nets aren't doing anything drastic this offseason. They're re-signing Cam Johnson. They're kind of kicking the can down the road, hoping that someone else, uh, hoping that someone else becomes available, uh, maybe in a year or six months from now. Whoever it is, who do you like them drafting at twenty-one and twenty-two? Okay, so for this one, I went to CBS Sports. They yep, I've been on that a lot recently too. Um, and for guards, I, I if I'm looking at the Nets thing in pack, the the glaring weakness becomes point guard, ball handler, and big man. In that case, I've seen um, Kobe Bufkin and Nick Smith Jr. both available. Actually, Nick Smith Jr. I think three out of the four have him going either to us or after us. So he's available. Um, my my preference would be Kobe because, you know, Nick Smith Jr. had that injury. And I'm a little weary of taking injured players. You know, I tenure with Marks. We've always had injured players. So you kind of want a good help, build a health, even if they get injured. That happens. But they're, they're, they're very similar. And they build. Um, I like Buffkin a little bit more because he gets downhill. He can get past this man. And not to say that Smith Jr. doesn't, but we haven't seen enough games for him. But either or I would be happy with. Then it comes to the big man. Um, I'm real high on Gigi. Um, but I'm also just as high on James Naji. And if we're re-signing Cam Johnson, give me the center. Give me the center that could guard the center spot and pretty much give you what Clax gives because I'm still looking at um, Cam Johnson as my 3-4. Him in um, DFS. So, and you still got Ben Simmons coming back. So in that regard, it's it's either Kobe Bufkin or um, Nick Smith Jr. as the guards. And with Spencer here, I think then you put them in a six-man role and allow them to make the mistakes with the second unit with, and still be surrounded by vets. Um, the big man, I mean, he's athletic. He, he's a big body. He's strong. Um, he's not playing a lot of minutes overseas. You know, so I summer league would be important for him, but you have to let him play. Like whoever, whichever way we go in this draft, you have to let the rookies play. Now, we we've done it the other way where they don't play and they don't develop. I think the one thing we've seen with this coaching staff is they're ready for the development part because they brought in like three development coaches. So that would be my take in the fifty-first pick. I would take Tristan Vuvicic. Oh, I like him. He's a seven-footer with a, with, a, with, a, with a jump shot. And the words of Shaq, anybody with the last name Vic, you know can shoot. <laughs> so you kind of get your your four, your stretch four. You get the point guard and you get the big man. And you already got your foundational pieces with Bridges and Cam. All right. So, you know, it's tough because, as you said, 
off the top. We're, we're in lying season. And so it's really hard to know where certain guys are going. So like, for example, Kobe Bufkin is a guy that I, I've loved and I know you really like a lot, but he's now starting to get mopped higher, but there is still places that have him going around the Nets pick. So I'm going to be different just because I, I don't want us to have the same guy again. And so I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, uh, with, uh, with two different guys in two different positions. Uh, one being, <coughs> one being Leonard Miller. He, he's another guy who's similar to Kobe Bufkin could end up going higher. He could end up going lower. He's one of these guys that people don't really know what the total deal is, but he's 6'9". He's got an NBA body. He's got a 7'2 wingspan. He is a, a big guy that has guard skills. He's got tremendous athleticism, and he can also handle the ball. I think he's a high upside guy that I'd like to see on the Nets. And even though the Nets have a bunch of wings, I'm kind of assuming that – uh, or we're also hoping a couple of them are getting traded. The dude is like 19 and a half years old, so he's young. Um, I, I would just, I would love to see a big swing like this. It remains to be seen if he'll be available, but at this point, it's just kind of hard to tell because there's a lot of guys right now. And I, and I do want to mention this for the purpose of the pod. There's a lot of guys who are really, who, who have ranges that I've never seen before. And I think cool. Who's also an NBA draft junkie like me have, has never seen before. Like guys like Keontae George and Jet Howard and Bryce Sensabaugh and Pajemski and Nick Smith, like some of these, and Jordan Hawkins out of UConn, like we're seeing these guys mocked anywhere from 12 to like to 30, which I just is just not something. Usually you end up getting into some sort of area. Uh, same thing with uh, Olivier Max and Prosper Omax, like from Marquette, people have him all over the place. And so because of that's why for cool and I, you know, guys like Bufkin and, and Miller, if you told me they went 11 and 12, I wouldn't be surprised. And if you told me they, they got to the nets, it seems like it's a possibility, but, uh, but so Leonard Miller is the, is, is the first guy that I would try to take uh, at 21. And then, you know, at 22, I was going in a lot of different directions and I said that I didn't want to take the same guy as you, but to me, Najee is just too, is, is too good to pass up at this point. Uh, there was a tweet that kind of went viral over the weekend about his body type as compared to guys like Brooke Lopez and Thomas Bryant, and he really exceeds or matches all of them. He's totally raw. He's not even 19 years old yet. He's got a 7'7 wingspan, and it would be nice if the Nets for once could have a big man that actually has shoulders as opposed to being rail thin. And I just think, you know, that his capability as a shot blocker, on-ball defense, rebounding. He just seems like what you need. And even though he's, you know, he's not a good, uh, not a good uh, free throw shooter. I think he's shooting free throws around fifty percent uh, for Barcelona. You know, it's one of those things you hope he can work on, especially because he is so raw and he seems like he's got a good motor. So those are the two guys that I kind of that I was really eyeing at um, at twenty-one and twenty-two. And then at 51, one guy who I've been high on, and this is a guy who, you know, three or four months ago when we were looking at mock drafts, he was supposed to go in the mid-first round, was even mocked, I remember, in the lottery a little bit and has dropped precipitously is Terquavion Smith, who, mm. to, who to me has a little bit of the bones, Jordan Clarkson, maybe even a, like a little bit, under, a little bit smaller version of, of Maxie, 
who can he can pull up, he can catch and shoot, he can play some defense. He averaged 18 points for NC State. He's 20, he's 20 years old. He's got a six seven wingspan, though, even though he's six two. So he's got a little bit of it's not as long as Donovan Mitchell, but even though he's small, he doesn't have small arms or short arms. Um and and, and in some places, yeah, he actually is uh Put, uh, I mean, uh, the heights are totally messed up at this point, but in some places he's listed as six three, six four. So he may actually be even bigger than what they than what he's listed as. And he's a tremendous athlete. And to me, he's just like one of these upside guys that I think he's going to be in the NBA for for a while anyway. So those are my uh, those are my three. But I also, I mean, I loved Cool's picks as well. I mean, as I said, Buffkin's been one of my favorite guys on my list. I think. I have my rankings right in front of me. Bufkin for me is my number 10 ranked prospect um, right after Taylor Hendricks. I just think he's going to be a really good NBA player and could be an all-star. So if the Nets were able to get him, I'd be really happy. You know what I think about, about Najee as well. And I just started watching some videos on, uh, on Vucevic or I, I think that's how you say his name. And yeah. he's, and he he's really impressive as well. I don't know if he's a stash or not, but what I saw from him, that guy looks like well, he could really play. So I I really liked Cool's picks. Cool, what do you uh, what do you think about mine? So I I love your picks. Um, Lennett um, Lennett gives me um, Anthony Randolph Lamar Odom comp. Yep, I I agree. Um, and before people go crazy and say. Oh, you know, not L.O. You got to look at the body frame. He's able to put the ball on the floor, dance with it. Um, and you don't get that that much. So when you see it, you see it. Um, and he, was, he, he seems to be a smart kid and takes good advice because he was in the draft last year and, and, and took the information and then utilized it and transformed his game in real time. So that at least tells me you're working. Um, my only thing is I'm scared of Smith because to me, Smith is Cam Thomas, but with a skinnier frame. He's more athletic. <laughs> He's more athletic than, yep. than, than Cam, but it's that 6'3 gunner that head down, I'm going to go get mine. And that's why I think he's been dropping because he should have left last year. He would have been a first-round pick. He stayed, and now they had they got a chance to expose his um his weaknesses. But I also think something that you alluded to, why you see players with ten to twelve spot different ranges or ten to fifteen is because this draft is deep. And after you get past the three surefire, you know these are the three guys. Then you get the the Whitmans. I'm not big on the Thompson twins. They're 20 playing with high school kids. I'm, I'm, you're supposed to dominate. I'm yeah. So, you know, I would like to have seen them in college because then they might not be, they might not be drafted this high. But um, I think when you start looking at that seven through the rest of the lottery, it's even. It can any, you know, the talent is all the same. And I think 15 through – 24, 25 is, is the same talent. So you're getting that depth rotation piece that can start immediately. Um, but that's that that that's the one thing with Smith. You know, I just worry about 
when you look at our guards besides Spencer, we don't have no height or length. So at least if you measuring six four barefoot, because you know that's how they do it now. Yep. Then you're six five, six six when you put your shoes on. I I can I can accept that. I can't right. accept you being six two with your shoes on and we taking you then as opposed to, you know, getting some height. I would like height, but if you're good, you're good. You know, I, you just can't have a small, you can't play two smalls <laughs> next to each other. But, no, nah, that's a good pick. Um, yeah, that, 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 that covers two needs. You got the big, you got the wing, that's a point forward, and you went back and got a guard. Yeah. Yeah. Now we got to hope that the coach knows how to how to develop these uh, these young guys that they're going to be that they're going to be bringing in. But uh, look, we got we got one more pod left before I think we're we'll, we're also going to do a mega pod just discussing the draft generally with the whole crew. But we got one more left in this. It is kind of these mini pods that we're doing. The next pod we do will be if the Nets decide to trade up. Uh, not to like obviously top five or even top 10, but you know, we're trying to be more realistic on this pod as opposed to just, you know, talking about rainbows and butterflies, like a lot of Nets podcasts do. Uh, so we will be back. Cool. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, this, for whatever we think about marks in the front office. And I, if you listen to me or read my tweets, pretty much, I know how I feel. Show me. Because you ain't been showing me lately. Yep. This is, this is actually the offseason where there's no reason, no pressure, right? There's no stars demanding you make this trade, that trade, get this player, that player. Marks has two draft picks in the first round. You got your face of the franchise or a foundation of your core. Let's see what kind of GM he really is because you either giving him the benefit of the doubt for what he did after Billy King until he got KD and them in 2019. Or you're looking at it from the view that I look at. From 2019 to now, you didn't accomplish nothing and you kind of just coasted because you had the stars. So whatever which way we think of him, if we think he's this genius or we think he's trash, we will know for sure this offseason. Yep. These next look, there's a good way to there's you could really say that the next eleven to twelve days are gonna define three uh, days that draft. Yeah. Because for us, for us, we don't have we're 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 over the cap, but not really over the cap. So you know, I alluded to this before. If we keep in Cam, you know they're getting rid of Joe Harris or somebody. Yep. And and people will say that he's being cheap. No, it won't be side being cheap. It would be that Marks didn't complete the breakdown last year and getting rid of Seth Curry. Because then if you walk in right now, under the cap, you have so many different ways. These teams that now want to get rid of those contracts, you could take, and you would just now just be a tax team, not a repeater. And I don't think he's he should have to pay for a team that doesn't have a chance. 
And when I say have a chance, I look at contenders as being teams that get to the second round. And I know people say, well, then that's a lot of teams. But if you get to the second round and you really got a shot to win it, win the second round, you're a contender. Without, without just saying odds on favor to really win it. Because what we look at, we say there's six, six contenders every year, but the only four teams make it to the Eastern Conference Finals or the Western Conference Finals. So not, there's only four contenders if you look right. at it that way. No, look, I'm, I'm with you. They, there's no reason they should be in the tax. They should reset. Um, they should I, – I mean, look – they should use their. Uh, they should use the fact that there's a lot of desperate teams to get off some salary, get get off some guys who still have some value. Like I would look, you trade Royce, you get a pick back, and you get a smaller salary to get to get under. Or you trade DFS, you uh, you you get a pick back, and you get some smaller salary. Like whatever you have to do, you do it. Um, it, even if that, incl- you know, maybe you trade Joe Harris and one of the second round picks you got for some, you know, smaller salary. That's a guy who maybe has some upside, like whatever it is, they, they obviously, there's no reason they should be paying the tax at this point. Yeah. Not if, not if you run it as bad. Yep. Uh, so look, look, we're going to be back shortly to discuss uh, our final NBA draft pod. But uh, this has been another uh, Podthorn draft podcast. We're Podthorn. We out.